Welcome to the Metacast interviews. In this series, which is brought to you by Novik, we invite the most interesting people in the gaming space to share with you their stories, successes, mistakes, insights, advice, and also some spicy takes. I'm your host for today, Fozy, and in this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking to Saloni, who is the GP of Lumikai Fund, an interactive uh, media fund based out of India. Saloni, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Fozzy. Very nice to be here. We're so excited to have you. And in thinking about this conversation and how to start it, the, the reason I first reached out was to better understand your perspective around a viral LinkedIn post you shared, which is why gaming needs more sector-focused VC funds. Can you chat about that post and lay out your mental model for thinking about this and also a little bit about your conclusion? Sure. Yeah, you know, I think that that post stemmed from a question that came when we were just about launching a fund and there were a lot of LP conversations that we were having and a lot of, I guess, investors were asking us and a lot of LPs were asking us that, you know, what's so special about gaming and why does, why is, why is gaming even an asset class and why does gaming require a sector focused strategy? And when we started to respond to that, and when we started to you know, demonstrate that, I think that that post stemmed from that. And there were certain nuances. Uh, and over my years of being in the business, and I've, I've been in the business for over 15 years, and I've seen the sector as a uh, investment banker, I've been a games entrepreneur, and as a VC, I've recognized the fact that games investing is very different from, let's say, consumer investing or generalist investing. And I've, I've had private equity experience as well. It requires specialist insights because magic happens in gaming and at the perfect intersection of art, culture, technology, and media. And only as gaming has now become mainstream, we saw the much needed rise of sector specialist funds because of the very unique nature of the asset class, which are, which are a couple of things, right? The first is, you know, the very often um, criticism that we heard about the asset class is that it's, it's a hit-driven business. And when you have a hits-driven business, like, you know, even people say that about venture capital, venture capital is a hits-driven business. And what do you do when you have a hits-driven business is you need to have a portfolio approach for it. And you need to have that for gaming as well. And, Previously, investors evaluated the gaming industry as a monolithic entity, or they made speculative bets, or they made bets on a single sector via a single company. But now that understanding has been challenged because we know the sector has depth and we know the sector has breadth. Now, by that, I mean that you know there are various genres which you can invest in. There are various demographics and audiences which you can invest in. There is breadth in that sector in the form of platforms, tools, tech, infrastructure, and the IPOs and the public markets in the last 18 months have made it amply clear that there is value creation opportunity in every subsector, every sub-vertical. We've seen Unity, we've seen huge gaming, we've seen app loving, we've seen Nazara games, you know, and these are, these are uh, companies across this value spectrum, which, which explains why you need to have a portfolio approach in gaming and to, in order to be able to spot that, you need sector specialists. And another very basic nuance of games investing is that the problem-solution approach does not work. 
you know, most VCs will ask entrepreneurs, you know, what's the problem that you're solving? But the there is no inherent problem when it comes to gaming because you're dealing with entertainment products. I mean, does the world really need another match three kind of a game? Does it really need another kind of hyper casual game? Do you need another RPG title? But every two years or so, genres get redefined. Uh, gaming games will get innovated upon and new new games will emerge. And keeping an eye out for that requires constant sector mapping. It requires on-ground monitoring. And if you're not entrenched in the sector, it's very difficult to be able to pick those winners out. And there are other nuances, right, which then emerge. It is around, and a lot of investors, particularly a lot of generalist investors, often tell portfolio companies, oh, you need to chase large uh, addressable markets. But many times that's not necessary in games, right? Because it's very difficult to predict large addressable markets, especially when it comes to content bets. You know, nobody expected uh, Angry Birds to be as big as it did. Nobody expect, expected, uh, you know, Love Nikki to be as big as it did. Free Fire, for example, you know, the game, if you played it the first time around, nobody expected it to be a, a global success. And in the West, people still don't play the game, but it's a massive success in emerging markets, right? Because it's very difficult to predict TAM for content bits, particularly when it comes to entertainment products. So the myth of chasing large TAMs becomes very difficult when it comes to game, gaming, gaming content. And again, you require sector specialists. And then there are other nuances. You need to enter early. And it, this is a sector which is highly acquisitive. It is a sector which is largely driven by m &A. Nearly 90% of exits in gaming happens via m &A. So you need to have the right strategic uh, connections, you need to have the right strategic networks to be able to facilitate those connections and to be able to facilitate those exits and to be able to facilitate those conversations. And these, there's, thus, there are these nuances of investing in gaming, which is very different from investing in any other sectors. And trends change very rapidly also. So it's very dynamic as a sector. And hence, sector specialization is incredibly important. And that's why a sector's focus VC fund is so, so important. I love everything that you just said and how you articulated it because I work at a consumer generalist fund and we often think about like how to stay abreast of these trends. And so, you know, chatting with people in the industry often is a bellwind to what's next. Um, I, I think that's a great segue into thinking about like, uh, you know, setting the stage for Lumikai, why you started it, what investments you've done, why now, and what does it mean to establish a new brand and to build a global presence and increasingly like global investment landscape for gaming. For those who aren't familiar, Lumikai is an India-based VC fund, and it is the first gaming and media interactive media fund in India. Um, so, you know, Saloni is very uh, <laughs> informed and well aware of what it means to start a, a gaming specialized fund in an, in a new industry. Yeah. So, you know, the the word, you know, I think the word Lumikai in itself is very very special for us. Uh, the word lumikai actually is a genesis of two words. It's a Latin word for light combined with the Japanese word for tribe. And when me and my co-GP, Justin, uh, decided to embark on this vision for setting up lumikai for, for the India market, what we recognized very early on was that India's interactive and gaming market was entering a golden age. And we wanted to be 
at least we wanted to set up a lighthouse VC fund, which would catalyze India's gaming and interactive media industries, which we felt were ripe for this disruption. And, you know, I very firmly believe that the best time to invest in a sector is when it violates a certain narrative. And when we ideated Lumikai Fund, we heard many narratives. You know, we heard many criticisms. We heard the fact that, you know, India is a Dow farm. India doesn't pay for games. There's no depth in the market in terms of deal flow. There's no gaming talent. Indians will not monetize. Uh, India is a net importer for games. You can't have a sector-focused VC strategy. And we saw, we heard all of these things, but given our experience, both from the global markets and, and what we were seeing at the local market level, we saw key inflection points. And that really gave us, and I think we were contrarians when we were entering the market at that point of time, and we were able to trace some of those markers to what we'd seen in some other markets, similarly that what we, from our experience given in, in China or what we'd seen in markets like the Turkey markets. And that really entrenched our belief that it was the right time for us to launch the fund. And we launched the fund last year. And since then, we have seen the market explode. We have been very fortunate that we have come, and you know, there, there's always the right time for investing as well. You know, you can get all your thesis right, but if the timing is wrong in the market, you, you know, it doesn't matter how, how right your investment thesis is if the timing is wrong. I think we've been very fortunate that all those markers played out very well for us. India's pandemic, while it was horrific in terms of the lockdown and the macroeconomic reality of, you know, just the, the unemployment, et cetera, the short-term economic shock that caused. But what it did was that there was a digital revolution that happened that accelerated uh, India's transformation in terms of moving forward gaming and um, just adoption of, of gaming as, as a entertainment, as a mainstream, mainstream entertainment medium. India now has 450 million gamers. India now consumes 12 gigabytes, on, on an average, an average Indian consumes 12 gigabytes of data a month. This year, Indians are on track for consuming 10 billion gaming apps. India now constitutes 20%, nearly 20% of mobile gaming downloads. We very recently launched a research report which tells us, which showed us the actual market size of the Indian market. And the macro reality is that India is a $2.2 billion market, which is expected to grow 3x and going to hit $7 billion by 2026. And Indians are monetizing. 27% to 30% of the current market size comes from in-app purchase. So all of these market realities, which we previously heard that were not going to be possible, were actually happening on the ground. And what we did in the last year was we did a lot of ecosystem building because there was a lot of misinformation around the market about what gaming was, what gaming entails. And there were certain kind of initiatives that we took in the market to be able to you know, talk about gaming and to how to make gaming mainstream. And that was very much part of the mandate. And what we recognized were that there were pockets of growth and there were pockets of opportunity. And then those are the kind of 
category leaders that we could catalyze and that those are the opportunities that we could back. So for example, we made an investment in a company called Loco, which is now India's leading game streaming platform, which is it's mobile first, India's equivalent of Twitch. And these guys are you know, just on a phenomenal trajectory. They are just, they're, they're, they're an, an amazingly, you know, they've just seen 50 to 100,000 concurrent users on single streams. They're just an incredible amount of creators. They're just, they built a community of game streamers from ground up uh, who are really revolutionizing the way Indians are now adopting game streaming and seeing early signs of virtual gifting, virtual tipping, and they're hitting peak DAOs of, you know, there are 2 million, 3 millions, and 3 million daily active users. And, you know, it's just incredible traction on the platform that they're seeing. We've also done um, uh, bets like LOLO, which is a host-led creator live social gaming platform. And these are targeting tier two, tier three audiences, targeting female audiences where majority of their creators are women and they've already seen 100 million gameplays on their platform. Then we've got companies like Bombay Play, which are building for India from, you know, for the world. You know, these guys are building a hyper-social innovation factory of cross-platform instant games. Again, you know, 4 million monthly active users and you know, just on a crazy growth trajectory, companies profitable within nine months and on just a, a growing a revenue growth of 30% quarter on quarter. So this is the kind of talent that we have backed in the ecosystem. This is the kind of talent and founders that we have seen in the ecosystem and with very bold ambitions, very bold visions of what they want to build for the future. And that's what's exciting us. It almost feels like the nuance is building for India first and then building for other people. And I, you know, in your, in, in Loco, you mentioned that they're building mobile first, right? And India is a very mobile centric um, country. And, you know, another example that strikes me is turnip.gg, which is building a very like India focused discord chat app type situation. Yeah. And that feels very exciting. And I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on what do you feel is important to get right as an entrepreneur? And as you talk about building this ecosystem, like how do you, what mindshare do you occupy and, and how do you start getting there? So, you know, it's incredibly important for founders who are building uh, for the India market to understand the nuances of building for India, right? So you have to understand the Indian consumer. You have to understand the medium of the Indian consumer, uh, you know, are they mobile first? You have to understand the sociology of the Indian consumer first as well, because the Indian gamer, unlike the Western gamer, did not have the linear trajectory of a Western gamer. They did not go through the arcade, console, mobile game generation. They did not go through the various uh, business models of paid games, uh, free-to-play games, subscription games, you know, everything exploded at the same time for the Indian gamer. You know, they were exposed to video chat, audio chat, messaging, gaming, social, 
all at the very same time. So the Indian gamer is inherently multiplayer. The Indian gamer is inherently social. And the in- Indian gamer is inherently mobile first. And many of them are first-time smartphone users. So the way you design the first-time user experience, the way you design the uh, interface, the way you design the UI UX, the way you design payments, the way you design monetization has to be taking into consideration the very unique digital sociology of this of this gamer. And when we did our research, what we did find is that there is a very deep desire for uh, Indian gamers seeking more cultural touchstones and more cultural touch points in the kind of entertainment that they are seeking, whether it be language, whether it be cultural themes and thematics. And this is why, you know, even with Loco, they have a thriving community of uh, local language speaking streamers, streamers who stream in Hindi or other local languages. Uh, similarly, we're seeing the rise, uh, rising demand of uh, Indians seeking games with cultural themes and cultural touchstones or uh, around Indian mythology, Indian history. So all of those become very important. I, I love the concept of, you had this really amazing blog post about the Cambrian explosion going on in games in India. And one of the concepts you bring up is digital decolonization. Could you chat a little bit about that and why it matters? And then, you know, we could shift a little bit about talking about the regulatory scene in India and what implications that has um, moving forward. So, you know, that's that's very interesting. I think what we what we're seeing is you know, the rise of techno nationalism to some extent. And we you know that when we wrote about digital decolonization, it's it's very much in line with what we saw perhaps back in China in 2006, 2008, which was you know, symbolically accompanied by what the Chinese Communist Youth League, where they employed games as platforms to generate national spirit amongst you know, young players by a high level of advocacy for self-reliance and domestic development for technology. In 2020, in India, there was a rallying cry for, you know, what was called Atmanirbhar Bharat or self-reliant India with a very clear mandate from the Indian government to build apps and games for India and the world by Indians. Now, that that has been accompanied by what we started seeing was, and what, what at Lumikai we've called this digital decolonization, where we're seeing more and more Indians reclaiming their digital identities and decoupling from the West in a sense that rather than copying from the West, Indians no longer want to imitate the West. They're happy to chart their own path by clearly embracing their own identities, their own languages, their own cultural quirks. This is evidenced by the rise of regional content. Now, 95% of content consumed on YouTube in India is in regional languages. There is the rise of Hindi-speaking streamers and influencers. There is a rise of made in India by India sentiment. And for the first time in India, for example, or even around sale of goods around Diwali, Indian-made goods have beaten uh, goods, like Chinese-made goods, in fact. This was the very first time, and I, I don't know the exact stat around it, but you know, this was, this was actually... Uh, a massive stat around the consumer goods industry as well. Now, this is 
also largely being led by tier two, tier three uh, audiences becoming uh, digital natives. Now, consumers in tier two, tier three towns are more exposed to Indian and regional influences than their tier one counterparts. And as a result, their digital interactions are likely to be in, I guess, more regional languages and are likely to be driven by more Indian themes. So all of these factors have led to the development of a new market of consumers who have to be catered to in, in you know, different ways than, let's say, that westernized audience, uh, which has traditionally been the, the audience that has typically been the more vociferous and the louder and the more vis- visible Indian. But now the next next gen, next you know, tier two, tier three audience, which is now coming up, uh, that audience is now now becoming more visible. And that's the digital decolonization that we are seeing. That's incredible. And you know, I almost can think of UGC and the consumer zeitgeist around that being net beneficial for these regional languages, for these creators and game developers who are attempting to develop for a very specific and niche audience and being able to monetize for them. I also, on the flip side, see the macro trend of you know, PUBG creating their own India-based studio and being very successful at that. And I'd be curious to get your thoughts on what that means overall for the industry in India and how you see it fitting into your investment thesis moving forward. I think that's a natural evolution of the market developing. You know, we have uh, traditionally as a market, you know, been the back office of the world. So we always had, as India, you know, you had the Ubisofts, you had Zynga, you had Blue, um, you had all of these companies who had set up back offices and you had teams which were running live ops of their games. Um, and it was only a matter of time when all of that, uh, all of those teams were now going to start to develop <clears throat> their own games. And it is only, and as the ecosystem develops, as talent develops, and we've now seen the last two years, particularly, the and I'd say the last 18 months, particularly, you've seen an infusion of capital. You've seen a mainstreaming of gaming. And with infusion of capital, over a billion and a half of capital has been infused into the gaming industry. By mainstreaming of gaming, there has been visible interest, both from a government perspective, where governments are now setting up center of excellences, where the IIT Bombay is now teaching courses on game design. There is a thriving esports scene. Um, We are now seeing more and more VCs wanting to invest in games uh, where you're seeing the government actually push for game game design so you have gaming is now becoming acceptable as a career path so and we have now seen exits happen in gaming you have the mtg group acquired play simple games for you know a half a billion dollars you had still front acquire moonfrog so once that starts to happen, it's only a matter of time where global strategics now start to pay attention to the India market. And, you know, India's always had a very deep bench of technical talent. It's always had a very deep bench of art uh, talent, very deep bench for VFX, animation talent. It was design data to some extent, which was which was a laggard. But now with global transference and remote working, uh, a global transference of knowledge and remote working. Now you have these large strategics who are now setting up shop and set actually building games from from India. 
it's on it's a natural evolution of the market and we saw this right we saw this in the early uh days of china as well when in 2007 after companies went public and we've seen this now even with nazara games going public we saw the similar kind of pattern happen in 2007 you know domestic gaming companies went public like giant perfect world net dragon but the same year blue mobile acquired mig uh vivendi acquired a studio in shanghai the same year world is needed a partnership with shanda games and once you start having these global strategies tying up with local uh partners you know that that kind of uh synergies and those osmosis of knowledge and capital and talent starts to move into the country and it automatically catalyzes the industry and that and that and it will bring bring best practices and that that will drive the growth it's been amazing to see these acquisitions happen and we always i think think about the deprecation of the uh IDFA as a bad thing but it has indeed catalyzed a lot of these like disparate acquisitions and and synergistic moves and in a sense like one of the as you mentioned the byproducts of that is just more talent flowing into the space because they do see it as a lucrative opportunity they do see it as a chance to get into the limelight and i'd love to understand what you or how you see lumikai playing into this and what your role is amid this changing landscape so you know our role is to act as a catalyst uh, we are deep believers in the potential of the india market and we are long term patient capital our thesis is that india's future and india will be a formidable gaming market there are 2.5 billion gamers in the world the next billion are in india there is no denying the fact that gaming usage adoption monetization and infrastructure are converging in a never been seen before manner in india so if you're a founder in india there's never been a better time in the history of the indian games industry to start a gaming company and as a fund focused on that industry we're there to help catalyze those founders and that's that's the role that we see ourselves uh, it's so exciting to be on both sides of that and i i remember you calling it a supernova event and it certainly does feel that way there's a lot coalescing as we you know enter this next phase of the conversation i i was really interested to ask a, a couple like more specific questions on india gaming and and how you see it so the first one is about low ARPUs so average revenue per user and how you typically respond back to this critique um i think it's something that is probably on your mind as you think about external interests and strategic interests in india but also as a vc investing in this space so you know that was something that we often heard a lot uh was you know data around while everybody would talk about the potential of the india market there wasn't a lot of i guess uh data around market size monetization willingness to pay arpus and you know all of that still remained a black box and that was why we decided to undertake a very comprehensive research uh on ground research report and deep dive of the indian gaming market and 
we essentially leverage insights from india's gaming ecosystem leaders we you know we got together knowledge partners we had we put together proprietary insights gleaned from conversations with 500 founders from, uh, that we had spoken with from the india's gaming sector and then we did primary research as well and what we found really surprised us and you know monetization has always been the billion dollar question mark and what we found was that india for two years running has seen the highest proportion of first time paying users over 50% year on year out of any country in the world now this means that this for the very first time we also quantified how many paid use indian users are actually paying for games and we our, our forecast was is estimated about 100 million indian users are forecast to pay for games in 2021 these game these are expected to increase 3x in the next 5 years we also discovered that 50% of new midcore and hardcore gamers are paying between 7 to 14 dollars per month on games and that the average spend per per paying user is about 77 dollars a year now these are never been discovered facts and that's incredible right like this were people you know the biggest criticism the market was that nobody you know indians don't pay and these were facts that we were uncovering through primary research we also discovered that virtual gifting and tipping is a reality that 17% of the surveyed gamers were actually engaging in virtual gifting and tipping already in the india market uh so when we started to uncover these facts these business models that we were like you know business models like loco for example or lolo all these platform game streaming bets we we made very early on started to get validated and now we can explain that traction because all of that early traction now starts to look we we seeing those those early fruits of that start to make sense now because we're seeing seeing that on ground reality we're see, and this is across demographics across metros tier 1 tier 2 across genders as well uh 20% of the surveyed gamers are actually paying for for games at the moment and it, it correlates very well to you know when we spoke to our knowledge partners as well and you know while there's a lot of noise around real money gaming in india what we discovered was that in app purchases are actually forecasted to outstrip rng and ad monetization through 2025 and beyond so those were really incredible findings for us and you know they exceeded our expectations of what we expected to find you know that's that makes us incredibly bullish in the market for the future it's so validating when results like that come back and you also hustle on the ground to understand if these are insights that work with your mandate and your thesis as a firm. And one of the things that I think a lot of people these days are interested in is blockchain gaming. Uh Lumikai recently released a blockchain gaming primer, and I'd be curious to get your thoughts on why this matters to you specifically and why this matters to the Indian gaming market. So, you know, we we put that up and there's a lot of I guess, you know, noise around it and you know, that's as we said, you know, the promise of new technology and new paradigms is incredibly seductive right and we're seeing founders rush to put blockchain gaming and nfts and tokenization into their pitches 
as, as you know, as you speak to them, you're seeing them, you know, start with uh, one pitch and end up with NFTs just to throw it into the pitch at the end. And, you know, you're, you're, sometimes you end up confused as to, you know, where the founder started and where they ended up. And, you know, that's not to be said. I, I think, you know, when you read the primer, we've, what we've tried to lay out is the opportunity and the pain points and our perspective is the fact is that there are certain use cases where blockchain gaming and there is certain promise for what that technology entails. But we also have to, I guess, exercise some caution because we have seen these cycles before, right? For example, digital tokenization, digital assets, digital IP. This is a 40-year-old concept in gaming. So is play to earn, right? In Second Life, there was proprietary currency called Linden. It could be exchanged for real money. In 2015, that economy was rumored to be worth $500 million. So if you've been in the games industry long enough, none of these use cases are new, right? And we've seen these bull runs in gaming before. We saw social Facebook games. We saw this, you know, the VR hype. We saw the esports gold rush. We've now seen this NFT promise. And so we've seen these hype cycles come and go. Um, the, the problem becomes when there is a lot of capital which rushes into opportunistic bets, but those risks aren't hedged or calibrated or well-informed, which then means that you know, there's a lot of hot money which rushes into this space, which means that founders who are very well-deserving or experienced who genuinely are innovating in this space, which then who are unable to raise capital when that hot money flows out in a down cycle. I think that's that's the risks that we face. Now, you know, if you were to look philosophically about where play to earn or where say the metaverse was to go, now, you know, in 2016, there was a, you know, Edward Castronova basically predicted and said that, you know, when you had the industrial revolution, there was creative destruction where you move from agricultural jobs to industrial jobs and there was a complete erosion of old jobs to new jobs. In the same way, you, when you have now the digital age, we will move away from low-skilled work where one will start to play games to earn a living. And that was back, you know, he predicted this in 2016. And we kind of seen that, like, for example, with, you know, Axie Infinity, for example, 40% of Axie Infinity uh, in user cohorts are in Philippines, low-income workers who are making a living off of of the of of the of of the proceeds from, from Axie Infinity. But there are certain structural barriers. There are certain financial barriers. There are certain, um, you know, environmental barriers when it comes to blockchain gaming. There are isolated user cohorts. Um, there is a very specialized talent skill set required to build these kind of games um, and blockchain gaming particularly. And I feel those are the pain points which we're not talking about as much uh, when it comes to blockchain gaming. And I feel that's that's really important to talk about. 
But, and even when it comes to the metaverse, for example, you know, most definitions of the metaverse sound like, you know, dystopian nightmares and the imperialist dreams of large corporate digital colonizers, which is the complete antithesis of what the metaverse should be. But for example, if we do choose to suspend our apprehension and we assume that the metaverse is a, is a world that is going to happen and is a digital social world, then an economic system needs to be established. And for that, NFTs make sense. But we're, we're still a long way off of that. So I think our view is that you know, there is tremendous theoretical promise, but we need to be careful and we will exercise caution and there needs to be genuine use cases beyond pure speculation. And, you know, I love the quote by Warren Buffett when he says that only when the tide goes out, do you discover who's been swimming naked. <laughs> and um, I think uh, and I think that's that's where we've, we've ended up. Like, we want to actually see founders come up with sustainable, high-value-add use cases in this space and not, you know, somebody who's put the word NFT or metaverse just because it's a, it's a hot tagline at the moment. If I were to distill this conversation in a couple words, it would be incredible excitement, cautious optimism, and a lot of why now and why India. And, you know, it does come out a lot. If you were to leave us with a couple of those, you know, tidbits on why India and why now and, you know, what you're working on and why fellow entrepreneurs might want to partner with you, um, you know, I'd love to, to have that space and, and give you that space right now. Where can people reach you? What are you most interested in at the moment? And um, well, we're, we're super accessible. So LinkedIn, Twitter, email, everything works. So please send us, um, send us, you know, just drop us a note. Uh, look, why now? I mean, India's, India's time is now. It's, it's an incredible, uh, we're at an incredible point of time in, in the world. Uh, we're just seeing this incredible digital transformation happen in the market at the moment. And uh, when we look, at the future of, of, of the world, uh, we have this incredible bench of talent. We have this incredible, we have the perfect recipe for, for success in this country. We've got, the, we've got a robust uh, uh, talent pool. We've got the right, right set of capital. We've got you know, the right infrastructures now in place. We've got digital payments, which are thriving. And you've got the perfect recipe for, for success now. And you've got thriving capital markets. And there has never been a better time to set up a business. So the time's now. And I'm so excited to see where this all goes. Thank you so much. I've learned a ton. And I hope our listeners have too. Uh, appreciate the time, Saloni. Well, thank you so much for having me. Definitely. Have a good one. <laughs>